punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are moved again! Hey, welcome into to the Nesson Bruins podcast of Nesson.com's Mike Cole, joined as always by Nesson.com's Logan Mullen. Logan, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I am okay. Uh, we are... We're going strong uh, into, uh, well, I don't know, week eight now of not having any sports. I think we yeah, have, is that how long it's been? I mean, almost two months. It's incredible, actually, because if you think about it, yeah, it'll be like two months next week, right? Because it was yeah, right before like St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I think we're into, we, we passed the 50-day mark. Uh, and you know what? I, I will say this. Uh, we will get into Yaroslav Halak's uh, contract extension. We'll talk about the 50th anniversary of, Bobby Orr's uh, magnificent goal in the 1970 Bruins. Uh, and we also have another Bruins prospect interview at the end of the show. So we will get to that momentarily. Uh, but we will start, uh, as we've done the last few weeks, uh, on a quick update on where things stand with the NHL. And uh, I will say I'm getting a little moody uh, about, <laughs> about things. Um, I'm at the point where, I mean, there's not a ton of new news. Uh, I'm at the point where I've, I kind of wish I could shut off hearing all news until there's a definitive decision made Um, because it's starting to feel like we're playing a big game of patty cake when it comes to decision makers. And I understand that nobody wants to, to make a decision that ultimately costs people lives. And that's probably what they should be doing, but I'm getting sick of the leaks about uh, updates as to where things stand only to have it get blown up two days later. Uh, You know, and I think we're at most of the point where, you know, I would like to be able to fast forward in time to know for sure what's going to happen here because if we're going to just cancel everything, I would almost rather do it now because I'm sick of trying to get my hopes up. I, this has been an emo- emotional roller coaster for me. And I'm not liking it. Yeah. I mean, as we've kind of talked about before, I don't think any league is going to make any sort of decision until they absolutely have to. Somebody has because to make it one. Just, it wouldn't, somebody has to make one, but I also don't think they're under any obligation to do so right now because they all have pretty much readily admitted that they'll push the start of next season, at least for base or uh, basketball and hockey, they'll push next season until December. So they are very adept at kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Um, And I think because of that, we'll, we'll be in this holding pattern. I mean, as far out as what, maybe July. I guess, and that's uh, as I, as we start to discuss it. I, I made a, a very bold point last week, saying that this could be the most important month in the history of American sports. I doubled yeah. down a day later and wrote uh, a longer story for Nesson.com, uh, expounding on that point. I'm starting to think that maybe I was a little premature. Uh, they, this might drag into to June. Uh, it might, but I think at the same time, I think baseball's far more up against the clock. I agree. Yeah. As odd as that may sound. Yeah, I agree. I was actually going to ask you the exact question. Like, it almost feels like – and it makes sense, right, because, like, the NHL and the NBA only have to finish their playoffs, basically. So it's a little bit of an apples and oranges situation. But, yeah, it almost feels more hopeful for hockey and basketball than it does baseball. Well, and you can also push those sports back because weather yeah. isn't a factor. Like, baseball, it's not like they can say, well – like, they'll be in a tough spot in the first place if they're pushing the World Series until – you know, Thanksgiving, if they hope to play that at home stadiums and not a neutral site. So, yeah, it, basketball and hockey have far more luxuries than other sports do. 
And in baseball, I think, you know, hockey's probably in the same boat in terms of wanting to get the gate. So I think like baseball is going to be more likely to want to have to want to have the season in its own stadiums, presumably with at least a few fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, hockey probably isn't that that boat for next year, which is why you know postponing thing, postponing it makes even more sense. Because um, again, like actually kicking the can down the road helps them in terms of trying to get closer to being able to have fans back. Uh, I the one if it's even an update. We have this week is uh, this is from the TSN guys. Uh, Pierre LeBron says he said eleven to fourteen teams have put in uh, bids to host those one of those yeah. bubbles or the pods or whatever you want to call. Uh, I guess there's continued uh, concern from the players about being quarantined in a in a bubble for three months. Um, Drager said the NHL is hopeful to initiate phase two in late May. They said it's too early to make a decision, and they're monitoring the cities who are starting to open up. In terms of setbacks, but the NHL also said, according to him, that they won't allow players to return to facilities until there's a majority of teams who can return. So I think that kind of differs in regards to what the NBA is doing, where it sounds like the NBA might open up facilities as early as Friday, which kind of hurts a team like the Celtics, who can't get back to work presumably until the 18th. Uh, it sounds like the NHL will be a little bit more cautious and slow in that decision-making process, which from a Bruins standpoint, bodes well for them. Yeah, well, you and I talked about that last week, too, that, you know, if they're at the mercy of what states are open, then that's a competitive disadvantage. And it sounds like the league is cognizant of that to the point where, you know, if Rhode Island opens before Massachusetts, it's not like the Bruins have to sneak down to Rhode Island in order to train or hold practices or whatever. But they should. That would be cool. Um, And I think one other thing, ESPN's Emily Kaplan brought this up uh, going off of a – Another ESPN story about the NBA, uh, there's concerns among organizations about older coaches and staffers being around mm-hmm. the team. Uh, the, she quoted a source who said, it's definitely something that's being discussed. Uh, and the, she wrote in her tweet that a solution is TBT, D, TBD, which is basically boilerplate language at this point for anything uh, regarding the return of sports. Is Yes, it's being discussed and the solution is TBD. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Real quick, where uh, what's your confidence meter? Uh, where do you stand this week? I still – I guess I'm down from – I think last week I was like a six. I'm probably back down to maybe a four or something. Oh. And uh, this is my weekly reminder that it's not necessarily that I think they're going to do the right thing, but I think they are very insistent on having this season to the point where I think if – it would not surprise me in the least bit if we're watching regular season NHL games in August. And because of that, I mean, the question is how confident do you feel about the sport returning? I'd say probably a four for this season. Yeah. Uh, I'm down to a one. Um, I just, and I think I'm naturally pessimistic, <laughs> so that's not helping. But uh, I think the one, one of the things that Drager said is that they're going to start monitoring the cities that are already opening up. So like, you know, I mean, there's no team in Atlanta, but let's just say Texas or something like that. We're one like spike in cases away from them being like, we just can't do this. I think. Yeah. So if you're monitoring cities that are opening up potentially earlier than they should, you're probably setting yourself up to get bad news. So I think that's something to consider. Also, you should start doing the math. And I guess this kind of speaks to your point. Maybe you're, this is a better instinct on your part, uh, but you're bringing guys back from across the world. 
and then you're dealing with two different countries here where it sounds like Trudeau came out and said, Canada, you know, if you're going to come back to Canada, you've got to quarantine for two weeks. I guess two weeks in the grand scheme of things isn't a ton of time, but like there's just all these little, you know, bridges that you have to get over that. I think they start to add up at a certain amount of time where maybe the NHL finally steps back and says, you know what? We played 75 games of our season. It's not great, but it's better than nothing. And they just decide let's push this off until November when we can really, you know, confidently come back with something resembling normalcy. So, uh, I just there wasn't anything this week that makes me think they're any closer to coming back. So, yeah, and well, and I agree, but at the same time, I also don't think there's been anything that sure. is necessarily more, you know, discouraging of them coming back. I mean, there's obviously the coaches factor, but I think that that has to have been on their has to have had been on their yeah. radar the entire yeah. time. Like it might just be coming out now in reports, but you know. Anybody could think about that, that if, you know, the vast majority of people dying from the virus are elderly and you have coaches and team personnel that are technically elderly, then, you know, it's going to be a different situation for them than it would be a 25-year-old. Yeah. I think we also have a lot of uh, – there's potential union slash owner disagreements to, to still come up. So, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I'm hopeful, but I'm, I'm becoming less and less positive by the day. So, but that might just be a, a, a peek into my soul more so than anything <laughs> else at this point. So who knows? Uh, let's get to actual hockey on ice stuff. Uh, assuming there's ever a return, uh, shout out to the Bruins for making a little bit of news this week and giving us something to talk about. Uh, a surprising, uh, move in my opinion that Yaroslav yeah. Halak to a one-year contract extension for next year. That is a, a $2.25 million uh, deal for next year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I actually texted you as soon as this happened, as soon as I got the email. Uh, and, and it was kind of – it was a surprising uh, an announcement because, uh, you know, there is a ton of uncertainty heading into whenever the offseason may be. But, you know, Halak has played so well uh, that it would have made I, – I thought he would at least try the market. And what's the worst that could happen? He comes back to Boston – Um, I think that this kind of tells you that there's uncertainty on both sides where the Bruins aren't entirely sure what they have behind Tuka Rask moving forward and Yaroslav Halak just didn't want to play the market. So, you know, you find a little bit of a, uh, some common ground and here we are. Yeah. Well, I've long felt that since they brought Anton Kudobin back a few years ago and he played well, and then they replaced him with Yaro Halak that the Bruins in a sense had kind of handcuffed themselves where, for as long as Tuka Rask is playing on his current contract and playing in Boston for that matter, they're going to have to have somebody that they know is NHL ready backing them up. Like I think gone are the days of Tuka Rask playing 60, 65, 70 games in a season. You're, I'd be very surprised if we see him play far more than, I don't know, 45 games in a regular season the rest of his career. So I think in some respects they – kind of had to make a move like this with Halak or find a veteran on the open market instead of taking a chance on Dan Vladar or, I mean, not that Swayman or Kaiser would have even seen the NHL next year anyways, but they just weren't in a position to take a chance. Uh, I too am very surprised that Halak didn't test the market. Um, but at the same time, I can understand from his perspective, you know, he's about to turn 35 years old. Uh, you know, when that contract starts, he'll turn 35. He has a family. He has two kids. He's familiar with Boston. Nobody knows 
how long or short this offseason could end up being. I mean, there could be a quick turnaround with the offseason. Do you really want to worry about uprooting your family? Like, I think the hockey factor obviously played a role for Halak in that he's in a good situation. You know, he's good for 35, 40 games a year. Uh, it's a system and a team that he's now familiar with. But I think a lot of it, and this is just reading between the lines and for the most part conjecture, but I think he just looked at the off-ice stuff and said, I don't want to worry about moving my family and doing all this stuff for possibly a pay cut, uh, depending on what the salary cap does. Um, so why not just take the deal then and then revisit it next year and see where you're at? Yeah, it's true. I, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I completely thought about that way. He also said, uh, I, you know, this makes sense too. He's, he's been here for two years. He's a veteran player playing around a bunch of other veterans. He enjoys being in Boston. He likes the the culture, et cetera, et cetera, all those intangible stuff. Uh, yeah, just seems like this is a guy who's comfortable being in Boston. He's in a good spot. Uh, the only thing is, and maybe he realizes this is a guy who's going to be 35, that there's not, um, you know, he's not going to, he's it's probably easier to take the workload right now than it would have been earlier in his career. Like he's, it's just clearly not a guy who's trying to go out there and get a, a big time starting job and realizes that that probably isn't going to be out there for him anyway. So you might as well stay here, you know, chase a cup and still get a pretty decent workload. I think, you know, as Tuca gets up there in age, it's going to probably become closer and closer to an even split than it already is. So yeah, I think it was 42, 40 last year. Right. Yeah. Which I think was, well, I mean, Tuca was hurt last year. For right, he had the concussion, yeah. And he was hurt again this year, too, so that's the other thing. He's going to – you know, that's the – Halak's going to get a chance to play, so it's not a, a huge drop-off in that regard. Uh, so, you know, that's something that, to keep in mind as well. I thought this was interesting. I was looking – I think I saw this on the Bruins site. Since the beginning of last season, uh, among goalies, at least 50 games played, Halak ranks fifth in goals against, sixth in save percentage, and sixth in shutouts. That's insane. Yeah, he's been fantastic. And not even just for, like, a number two goalie either. Yeah. Like, right, those yeah. are fantastic fantastic numbers no matter who you are. Like, Rask is only a hair better across the board in those rankings. And, it, it you know, no surprise, uh, the Bruins' goals against average as a team or whatever you want to call it, goals allowed per game since the start of the last season, 2.49. That ranks second in the NHL. It's basically tied for first with Dallas, which is 2.48. It's a sliver of yeah. goals. So, well, uh, it, and that you know, it, rocks all. Yeah, and, and that's what kind of leads me to wonder what Halak could have gotten on the open market because I, I do think teams – I mean, a great example is the Vegas Golden Knights, right? Like they have Marc-Andre Fleury and at the trade deadline didn't get much mileage out of it so far, but they went out and got Robin Leonard because more and more teams I think are looking at the groups that have had success in recent years. And a lot of them are using these tandems pretty much equally. And Dallas is a great example with Ben Bishop, Ben yeah. Bishop and Kudobin. And, um, you know, the Islanders are trying to do it with Grice and Varlamov, like go all the way up and down the NHL. And that's kind of the direction that it's going. So it does make me wonder if, Halak could have gotten a raise of some kind, or at least to deal with term if he had, explored going somewhere else a place that needed an nhl ready backup you know you look at a team like i don't know the philadelphia flyers but they're probably playing carter hart more than you know the bruins would Tuka Rask. so you can go down that rabbit hole as much as you want but i think we're going to start to see the goalie market shift a little bit 
and he was the exact type of guy that probably could have been best positioned to make a little bit more money than he otherwise would have for being a high-end backup goalie. Yep. This contract, assuming they get the entirety of it, will put him up over $41 million for his career. So it's good, you know. I do – I do wonder, too, if we'll start to see more dominoes fall in that regard. Because yeah. if, if the salary cap does actually freeze where it is, I, you and I have talked a lot about how there are going to be some guys looking for big paydays that probably will just end up taking one-year deals and hoping that the salary cap grows for the following season. And that's when they go and they get their deal with plenty of term. Uh, you know, maybe you start to see other guys look around the league and say, you know what, I'm just going to get my money now and revisit this in a year. because the fact that the Bruins got Halak for less than he was making now after the way he's played for them the last two years is pretty impressive work by Don Sweeney. But at the same time, I think a lot of players might be looking at this situation and saying, you know what, they're about to be more likely than not like compliance buyouts around the league. I'm probably not going to get what I actually believe I am worth. And so just take the money now. Yep. Another shrewd move by Sweeney. Like he's got a lot of these under the radar. So, I mean, this is how you build a you know a team that contends for cups is that you get good players on you know friendly deals. So, it's yeah, just got the great. best top line in hockey for under yep. nineteen million. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Uh, we uh, we we'd, we'd be remiss not to discuss real quickly the nineteen seventy Bruins, uh, which I think we would have probably well if we were in the middle of the the Eastern Conference semis or something, it might have slipped under the radar a little bit more, but uh, we are coming up on the, I think it's Sunday, the 50th anniversary of Bobby Orr's goal. Um, one of the most picturesque sports plays in, in the history of sports. Uh, also a goal that clinched a sweep. I think that kind of gets forgotten every once in a while, but uh, yeah. so it wasn't necessarily game seven or anything like that, but I do think that is a very upsetting thing to think. About. I know. It, not that I'm going to get killed for this. Not that it's an inconsequential goal, Right. But if that goal does not happen and the Bruins lose, there's still a very good chance that they end up winning at some other point in that series. Yeah, exactly. But it's still, I mean, again, I think it's a nice – it is funny. It's like that's the, the, the crowning achievement or the biggest um, thing that stands out about Bobby Orr's career. He, like almost above the fact that he was arguably the best hockey player of all time. And so people remember him flying through the air. So I think that's kind of a, a funny dichotomy or whatever you want to call it. But – um, the NHL Network, I think Sunday night is going to air a uh, the 1970 Bruins Big Bad and Bobby documentary that uh, they the Bruins were teasing uh, the trailer for that. It looks incredible. I think that the other thing is too is like a lot of those guys are still alive, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. And some of the personalities on the team, like Derek Sanderson, is one of my favorite people of all time. Just you know, I obviously didn't get to see him play growing up, but like that is a guy who is the the soundtrack of my youth, soundtrack of my youth. And then you start reading about him and hearing more about him. Uh, one of the more fascinating stories, obviously, or for as good as he is as a hockey player is even better human being, according to all, um, all accounts, you know, you get the Phil Esposito uh, factor of it. There's just so much up and down with that team that is, it's, it's fascinating. It's one of the more interesting sports stories, uh, it, it, you know, certainly in new England sports history. So I'm looking forward to see how that unfolds. It would actually be kind of a, a cool thing to see a, a longer uh, documentary series, which is all the rage right now about that team. But uh, I think it's, people are going to be reminded of just how much historical and cultural significance there is for that 1970 Bruins team. 
in shaping Boston as a hockey town. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and that team really was just an absolute wagon. And, you know, Bobby Orr was only 21 when they won that. And, you know, Derek Sanderson was 23. Like, this was, I don't want to say the precursor, but it was the start of some illustrious careers for some of these guys. Yeah, I mean, the numbers, I just, this is my last one. I mean, or that might have been the greatest hockey season of all time. I mean, that's probably (laughs) disrespectful to Wayne Gretzky, but he had 120 points as a defenseman, of course, uh, in 76 games. He won the Hart, the Norris, the Conn Smythe, and the Art Ross. That's just (laughs) stupid. It doesn't even make sense. It's so funny, too. Like, what I find very – if you look at the cup-clinching goal in 1970 – and what Bobby Orr eventually was like that goal is so emblematic of the player he was. And the fact that like he was in the slot for that goal, like how many defensemen are scoring these, never mind game winning goals, but just goals in general where they're right on the doorstep. <laughs> like you know, It's insane. I mean, great pass. It's just such a rare breed. Uh, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Or just the, you look at Orr's numbers and it's just like such a bummer that the guy had awful knees because I mean, it really is just like a comment across the sky. I know it was like a different different era, and guys maybe didn't play as long. But, like, if he had had a chance to have any sort of longevity approaching somebody like Zdeno Chara, uh, I think that the story on Bobby Orr is even even different than it already is. But Yeah, it uh, is pretty wild. That's maybe uh, – maybe we, we can do what-ifs a little bit farther down the line in terms of uh, the Bruins. We might have a, a, some extra time on our hands moving forward as well if, if, uh, yeah. if our confidence picks are – are, uh, yeah, come to fruition. So, uh, but before we get out of here, we have another in our uh, growing series of Logan talks to young hockey players who will be good for the Bruins. It's ranking now because we're on the back end of interviews I've actually done now. But. That's fair, but it's been yeoman's work by you. But uh, so, who do you have on this week? So, 2019 first round pick Johnny Beecher, um, who's now playing at Michigan. Uh, Nice kid, very thoughtful, um, had a lot of good things to say. Uh, he, he did it all this past year. I mean, he graduated high school. He's from Elmira, New York, but he graduated high school uh, in Minnesota because he was playing for the national development team. Uh, so he finished high school out of state. He gets drafted. He goes to Michigan. He played at World Juniors. Uh, his season ended abruptly. So we talked about the variety of things that have happened to him over the last calendar year. Um, and yeah, thoughtful stuff, interesting kid, uh, certainly one that is on the radar for Bruins fans in the first place. Um, but he is, he's a pretty gifted talent and it's interesting to hear him sort of talk about how he's evolved a little bit and how he didn't start off, uh, nearly as confident in the college game as he ended up becoming. And you look at some of the goals he was scoring in the latter months of the season before things reached a pause and it was like, kid was going coast to coast against other big 10 teams uh you know his scoring touch did improve that was the biggest knock on him was he didn't have the best scoring touch and that he had a lot of room to grow offensively uh but interesting guy um and certainly had a lot to say so cool all right uh so let's uh let's end with that your uh, your discussion uh with johnny beecher uh and you and i will be back again next week to discuss uh who knows at this point? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll like we do every week, and maybe we'll have an update. Probably not. Maybe we'll Probably. have an update, though. I'm not counting on it. So uh, uh, that has been that. Uh, enjoy the interview with uh, Johnny Beecher, and we will see you all again next week. Goodbye.
I guess let's start here. It's been a pretty busy year for you, I'd imagine, between your draft year and then getting settled in at Michigan. So between just getting acclimated to college hockey, how would you, I guess, describe how the last year has gone for you? Um, you know, I thought the last year was, you know, really big for me and just, you know, development, you know, on and off the ice. I mean, obviously, like you said, you know, I was at the University of Michigan and, you know, I mean, I really love my time there. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable university and, you know, everything from the, the academics to, uh, to the hockey was amazing. So, you know, I feel on the ice that, you know, I really developed a lot and, um, you know, come by the end of the season, you know, I really felt that I was playing some of the best hockey I ever have. So, um, you know, I mean, obviously it was it was a busy year, you know, I mean, obviously going to World Juniors around Christmas time and, you know, uh, trying to win gold at that, you know, sadly came up short. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, the year in total, you know, was was a success. You know, I think I, I learned a lot and, and grew a lot as a person. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the on ice, what would you say were some of the areas where you saw the most improvement this year? Um, I think the biggest thing for me, you know, on ice, um, which I don't even really think, you know, was, you know, very visual. I think it was just mainly, you know, my confidence. Um, you know, I think from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, you know, I wanted the puck on my stick more and, um, you know, I was able to make more plays and, you know, just be able to be comfortable with the puck on my stick. So I think that really kind of changed my game and, you know, really kind of helped me, you know, become a better player and just be more comfortable on the ice and, and make more plays. So. You went to development camp last year right after you got drafted. What was some of the feedback that you got, and how did you kind of apply that to your game these last few months? Um, you know, a big thing that, uh, that they said, you know, which which I completely agree with, you know, is one thing i got to work on is, you know, like my scoring touch, uh, you know, like making little plays in tight. Um, you know, it's been been a main focus of mine, you know, the past couple of years. And, um, you know, this past year I worked on it quite a bit. You know, I mean, I'd get out with the, the goalie skates before practices sometimes and, you know, work on my in-tight shots and, and all the things that come along with that. So, uh, I mean, it's still a, a huge area of focus for me and, you know, something that, you know, I'll just continue to grow on and get better at. Now, you did have the one-game suspension a few months ago. Can you tell me just what you learned from that experience? Uh, yeah, you know, I think, you know, playing the game of hockey, you know, there's a lot of emotions that get involved with it. And, um, you know, just being able to, to keep your head in some of those situations and, you know, not just let let your emotions get the best of you. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's obviously something I'm not proud of. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, I'll learn from it and, uh, you know, try not to do it again. Mm-hmm. In terms of playing and, I mean – whatever else you can think of what is your goal for the next year um you know i think my goal overall you know obviously heading back to the university of michigan i i expect to win a national championship you know i think that was one of the biggest reasons that you know i chose a university because i felt that it was going to give me the best chance to at the end of everything you know be a a national champion so um i think you know our incoming freshman class is going to be really good for us um, I mean I'm, I'm very excited for this upcoming season and you know I think everybody in that locker room kind of you know expects to have success and um, so I think it's going to be a, a really good year and so I think we'll have a lot of fun. You mentioned World Juniors earlier what was it like to get that opportunity to get that recognition to be able to play on that team and then what did you kind of take from that? Um, it was awesome you know I think World Juniors is one of those things where growing up it's one of your biggest biggest dreams in life to, you know, not only put on the USA sweater, but on that platform. So, um, you know, I mean, I learned a lot. I mean, obviously, you know, I said earlier how we we came up short, and I think that was, you know, the biggest thing I took away from that is it doesn't matter who you have on your team or, 
you know, what it says on paper that you got to show up ready to play every night. And, you know, unfortunately we didn't do that. And, um, you know, I mean, I can tell you right now that every single guy in that locker room was extremely disappointed. And, um, you know, if I, if I get another chance to, you know, represent my country come next Christmas, that, uh, you know, I'll take uh, more advantage of it and I'll be ready to go. You've gotten a little bit of experience playing with some other Bruins prospects. Obviously, Jack Becker at Michigan. Curtis Hall was on the USA team. What's it been like to kind of get familiar playing with some guys who are also in the organization? Uh, it's awesome. You know, I think they're, uh, especially those two, you know, they're both world-class guys. Uh, I mean, I'm really close with Bax at school. Uh, I mean, he's helped me, you know, a lot throughout my freshman year, just kind of trying to find my way. And, um, you know, I mean, he's been awesome for me, so... Um, and then, you know, Halsey, uh, I mean, he had a great tournament at World Juniors. Uh, you know, I think didn't really follow up too much, but uh, from what I heard, he had a great year at Yale. And, um, so, I mean, I'm really excited for him. So, uh, you know, I think it's it's awesome, you know, just kind of make those relationships, um, you know, just kind of see how they transpire down the road. What's a typical offseason look like for you? And I know there's a lot of uncertainty right now, but, you know, what is this upcoming offseason kind of look like for you as well? Uh, so right now, you know, obviously with the whole quarantine thing going on, um, I'm actually pretty lucky because, uh, you know, when I come back home, uh, I usually just train uh, right here with my brother. Um, so, I mean, we got our whole little gym set up. And so, I mean, the whole quarantine thing hasn't really affected us at all. Um, you know, just trying to find ice right now. Uh, I mean, obviously it's it's still April. So, you know, it's not really too big of a concern if you can't get, get a whole lot. But, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's just something you got to deal with. Um, and then, you know, going forward, um, throughout the rest of the summer, depending on what happens, um, you know, hopefully get back to school for a little bit, uh, train with the guys and and get on the ice there and, um, you know, uh, just kind of see what's going on. Um, I think they'll probably keep us there if they can for, for a month or two, just to kind of be together and, um, you know, just kind of develop and get ready for next season. All right. I've got one more question for you and it's not hockey related, but you do go to Michigan. So I have to ask, did Tom Brady make the right decision leaving the Patriots? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I personally think he would have, he would have been, you know, pretty well off staying right in, uh, right in New England and playing for the past for the rest of his career. And, you know, maybe even bringing back another ring or two, but, uh, you know, I mean, Whatever's going to, you know, work best for him and his family is, you know, what he's got to do. And so, uh, you know, wishing him the best of luck.